All right. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Danielle. I am one of the co-chairs here from the DVSA Young Adult Council. I'm here with my other co-chair, Megan, and we are going to spend a little bit of time today talking about mental health and um, our own wellness journeys and how it has interacted with our faith um, over the past couple of years and how it interacts with our wellness journeys. Um, so before we begin, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Danielle. Like I mentioned, I live in Pittsburgh, PA. My favorite animal is a walrus. Um, yeah, I love telling random facts like I love folk music. But I think it's important because we need to know that um, there were people first who just happened to have mental health conditions. Um, so what the cool thing I get to do for my job is that I'm a recovery specialist for Allegheny County. Uh, which means that I get to use my lived experience with mental health conditions to help transform systems to become more recovery resiliency and wellness um, oriented. I'm also the project coordinator for Stand Together, which is a peer-to-peer anti-stigma initiative in middle and high schools um, where we go into the schools and we train them, and then they do anti-stigma projects um, with their peers. So that's really cool because I know for me especially, I didn't have those opportunities when I was in school. So a little bit about myself, Megan. Yes, you're so awesome, Danielle. Uh, Hey, everyone, I'm Megan. I currently live in Columbus, Ohio. I've lived here for about a year now. Fun fact about me, I love anything that has to do with England or British anything, British dramas. I currently, I have been graduated from college for about a year and a bit now, so I'm still kind of in this post-grad figuring out my life situation, but I work freelance when in PR and social media right now, and I'm not working on some DBSA stuff, and yeah, Danielle and I have been coaches for well over a year and a half now. And I I myself have been on the council for about three years, so it's fun to be able to be here and to talk. Awesome. Well, just a little bit about what we're going to do here today. We kind of have four things that we want to talk about. So one is the myths and the facts um, surrounding mental health and faith. The second one is kind of sharing some of our personal experiences with um, Mm -hmm. not only our issues but our mental health conditions um, and the things surrounding it, but also the stigma attached to it. Um, the third thing we want to talk about is wellness and what that looks like within our faith and our mental health conditions. And then the last thing is giving you guys some great tips about things that you can do if you're in a faith-based community um, to help decrease stigma and really just help people feel comfortable being in their own sin skin, oh my goodness, regardless <laughs> of um, whether or not they have a mental health condition, whether or not they're struggling with something. Um, and I will like to mention before we get started that Megan and I are speaking from a Christian perspective. So That's I'm right. a nominational Christian. Um, and Megan, and I well, am, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I am a slang version as I am a Mormon, but I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So Danielle and I, yes, are coming from a Christian perspective, but there also is such a variation and a variety of Christian 
you know, faith and denominations. So we are bringing a unique perspective, but this is in the Christian sphere. And we're hoping later on to do another series and involve some other faiths and to expand the conversation. All right. So I'll start us off with the first myth here. And the first myth we have is that mental health conditions are the product of weak faith. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So this is the biggest, I would say this is probably one of the biggest myths, um, is that, like, especially from my experience, I'll talk about it a little bit later, is that, you know, people always quote those things in the Bible where it's like, do not be afraid, I'm with you. And, um, you know, a lot of people will be in this conversation where they'll say, oh, just pray it away. If your faith was strong enough, you wouldn't be experiencing um, these feelings and these conditions that you have. Um, exactly. But so that's, that's number two that we have is that you can pray away mental health concerns. And a lot of this, you know, myths, in fact, it's stemming from the outdated perspective that any mental health condition is a weakness, is something that you just have to work harder to overcome. And I'm happy with the progress we've been making. I think it's generational improvement, but specifically when it comes to a religious standpoint is that you can, there's been that myth of your problem is because you don't believe enough to be healed. That's a whole other story, but um, than that, you know, it talks about our, our number three here is that mental health conditions or destructive thoughts are a reflection of evil. Now, as a Christian, there's very much the attitude of good versus evil, but this is something entirely different. <laughs> Hey, Danielle. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And the thing is that those who walk closely with God, you know, everyone struggles. Everyone struggles with their faith sometimes. Everyone struggles with feelings and different situations that come in our lives. Um, and just because we're struggling with something doesn't mean that we can't walk closely with God. It doesn't mean um, mm-hmm. that we have evil thoughts or that you know, Satan or the enemy is taking over our mind. Um, it just means that we might have had something happen to us that has affected us in a large way, or we might have some kind of chemical imbalances in our brain um, that have kind of changed the way of somehow the things we feel, the things we think. Um, and I think that, you know, looking at it from a physiological standpoint, um, that you wouldn't say having a physical illness <laughs> is a is a reflection of the devil, right? You know, we're not in the <laughs> where people did like My exorcism <laughs> and those sorts of things. Yeah, but um, you know, the sad thing is that some people still think this way. And again, this is um just our perspective and things like that. And if your faith has different views, um, we're not gonna squash that or hold it against you. Um, but we just want to talk about m- m- mental health and our faith and how it's affected us. So That brings us to number four, suicide is a sin. Now, this is really debatable, and my answer to this um, is a myth and a fact, because the fact is that, yes, suicide may be a sin. You know, the Bible, the Ten Commandments say that thou shalt not kill. Um, But also from a Christian perspective, just because that person has done that doesn't mean they're not going to heaven or having a positive afterlife. And I think that that's kind of where the 
the myth and fact comes in is that we believe, at least in my denomination, that all sins are equal and that no sin is unforgivable if you are, um, if you've accepted Jesus and you're walking in your faith and you've been baptized. Um, so yes, you know, suicide is, is following that, you know, breaking a commandment, you know, being a sin kind of thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that that person wasn't a Christian. It doesn't mean that that person is quote unquote going to hell. Um, it just means that they were struggling with something and couldn't get help. Megan, do you have something to add? Yes, I am grateful because I am going to mention this resource later on, but um, my church has put out this a website specifically about suicide. And uh, as a church, we've come so far, and my church as a whole is very much, we believe, in present-day revelation, so that God is still speaking to us, and so things, um, you know, as we're ready to, and we can listen, he will give us more. And so... I do believe that um, it's kind of really showing the variation in terms of a Christian faith because I believe that suicide is an effect, a health effect, and that God has compassion and understanding and things will work out. So I think, you know, the dialogue has been um, that suicide is a sin Personally, I think it's it's straight away from that, um, and that it's a place of compassion for this person that has been struggling. So we can we'll talk. I'll talk more about um, kind of how that has changed throughout a little bit with some resources. Absolutely, and I think we'll wrap around at the end too about um, you know the community response and how yeah. that might be different from different. Um, from, for example, a death or something like that. So, yes. Um, and our last one, Megan, you want to take it? Yes, absolutely. So, our last one, oh, this one is so huge, especially I've seen in my family, my community, is to that you should just tough it out. You need to keep everything to yourself. This is so huge. And I, there is, you know, improvement in this area. And I feel like, you know, this extends to both genders, but it may be more prevalent in men to to not feel comfortable opening up when you're struggling. But I I see this especially in my like my grandparents' generation. Uh, being a member of my church is interesting, especially if you happen to live in Utah, only because the population, the majority, is also of your same faith. And your your neighborhood is also your congregation. And so there, my grandma, for example, cared very much about what will the neighbors think. And if, you, if you're mm-hmm. struggling, you're not wanting to make that known, and you're wanting to bury it and just keep working through it. And I'm going to talk more about perfectionism, especially in just a little bit. So... Those are our five our five myths that have been so prevalent um, in our community, and we are debunking and uh, giving the resources so we can all progress. So now we would just like to talk a little bit more about our personal experience in this area. Uh, Danielle, would you like to go first? 
Absolutely. Thank you, Megan. All right. So um, I have been in and out of faith communities for most of my life. Um, I did grew up in a very strict Catholic household. Um, and, I mean, it wasn't, like, a big deal. I mean, it, it was pretty good. But I also went to um, the Catholic school, which was fine. Um, but there weren't a lot of resources, especially for mental health. And that's where I started struggling. So that was um, really hard for me. And as I got older, obviously, my faith waned because of my mental health conditions and my symptoms and my experience um, made it more challenging. It was really hard for me to um, look at my faith. And when I was hearing these things like, oh, you have weak faith, pray away your mental health. If you were a better Christian, um, that you wouldn't be so anxious or you wouldn't have these feelings of depression or you wouldn't want to end yourself, end your life. Um when people come at you saying that, that, like, makes the whole situation even worse. Um, so then you do, like Megan said, you try to keep it to yourself and you don't talk about it. And it's not even just faith communi- communities, honestly. It's in our culture in general. But um, we're not talking about that today. Um, but long story short, I finally um, found a faith that works, a faith community that works for me. Um, they're very supportive of mental health um, and wellness and um that's that's been huge. One of the biggest parts of my um, my wellness is my faith. And when I didn't believe mm-hmm. that I wanted to be loved because of my mental health conditions, or I didn't believe that other people loved me, or I didn't have a level of self worth, there was no way that I could believe that this amazing huge God would want anything to do with me when I was so having such a difficult time. Um, mm-hmm. But as I journeying in my wellness as I, you know, got treatment and did the things that I needed to do to take care of myself, um, when I was able to have relationships with um, others and accept myself and get into a a clear enough mind that I could look at things from a different perspective, um, it allowed me to make that connection with my higher power. It allowed me to um, be able to have faith again and be able to be like, yes, I am loved. I am loved by this higher power and that my life has a purpose um, and it's designed mm-hmm. for some greater good. And I think the cool thing now is that like you and I, Megan, we're doing this podcast yeah. because we can share our stories to contribute to that greater good. So um, that's really a huge thing. In addition, one of my diagnosis diagnoses isn't a mood disorder. It's actually um, borderline personality disorder. And that was huge um, because if you have major troubles with trust and relationship and abandonment, obviously that's mm. going to affect your faith as well. Um, through right. a lot of therapy and um, talk therapy and DBT and all those things, um, I was able to really grasp some of those and be able to have um, not only good relationships with others, but it really helped me have a better relationship with God. Um, so from my experience, you know, it was up and down. It was all over the place. But my treatment actually helped improve my faith. Um, mm-hmm. But in addition, I needed to be in a faith community that was supportive and understanding of mental health and wellness um, and supported me no matter what I was going through, whether I was, you know, in in the hospital or if I was struggling with something, that there were still people there that weren't telling me to tough it out and I just need to pray more, <laughs> but they were right beside me supporting me. And we're going to talk about some of those um, those ways we can support each other in a little bit here. So, uh, Megan, you want to share your story? Yeah, I love that. I love especially the fact that, we've come to the belief of an un- unconditional love that comes from mm. faith and believing in God. And 
I think it's so fascinating with your story that it's almost like the chicken and the egg. Like you had to be in a better place of wellness so you could have a place that you felt in a faith community. And so that's why it's so Mm -hmm. important to take care of yourself. Um, For me personally, I have grown up in my faith my entire life. And so has the past like five generations of my family. And, but that aside, I have very much worked from a young age to build faith through just, you know, in my faith, there's a lot of, it's I like to say, it's like, it's hard work to be a Mormon. You can't just be a casual <laughs> Mormon because it's a lot of, a lot of things to build faith throughout the week. Like, you know, it's three hours of church on Sunday. You're, you're, you're serving in your congregation, praying a few times a day, reading the scriptures every day. Like it's, and lots of personal commitments when it comes to, um, you know, health and wellness. For example, we believe in not drinking coffee or alcohol or smoking. We also believe in, you know, in the importance of taking care of your body. And so you can't just be a casual <laughs> Mormon. It's one of those situations. So, you know, I have grown up in the church, but I have personally decided to be a part of this faith. And when I was first, dealing with my um, mental health challenges, I mean, I I had anxiety since I was a child. I had small bouts of OCD as well. And a lot of it, honestly, I think my anxiety has played into building my faith and the fact that I was anxious if I felt like I was, you know, displeasing God in any way. Mm. And yeah. that and is we, a very... We fear punishment. Yeah, and I, you know, you just, you want to be the best version of yourself, and um, that's why I think in my community, and my, my university, I did go to Brigham Young University Provo, which is owned by the church, so the majority of the population are also members of the church. Uh, there is such a, a feeling of perfectionism. And I do think the root of it comes from a place of wanting to continually progress and, um, you know, keep the commandments to, um, you know, be be, um, at a good place with God. So um, my anxiety continues on my life, but uh, when I was a teenager, I – got a manic episode out of the blue and it it took another one or two episodes before I finally got my diagnosis of bipolar one and at you know that's been about eight years now since I've been diagnosed and I've gone through different experiences and I I I feel that you know I don't feel that my my conditions or anything are like a punishment from God, I I don't believe that, but because I believe that we all have challenges and trials to go through on Earth. Mm-hmm. That's the point is that we we're given hardships so we can push through um, and build faith. But there have been a lot of times where I'm just like, how how is this going to work in my life? You know, as a yeah. teenager, how am I going to move away? How am I going to be at school? How you know how am I going to eventually meet someone and be married when I have these these challenges and so um it's a similar thing of where I've you know I've questioned a few times just been like why like why am I stuck with this 
you know, for life. Um, but at the same time, I've had to, I, I consider it um, a blessing because it, it teaches me so much humility. It teaches me that I can't do everything on my own and that I have to um, rely on, say, medication. I have to rely on medication, and that is just part of life. It's it's a condition of your physical body that you have to take care of. So I, um, I mentioned um, perfectionism and the toll that it takes um, on myself and on those around me, um, just you know, just BYU as a whole, everyone that is coming there, we have people from all 50 states, 100 countries, because they're members of the, the, the church and they want to come to the school. And so you're getting a group of the best of the best. And you, you may have been the star of your high school, but you're not, because everyone at school is the star of their high school. So hmm. it. So that that feeling of you have to have really worked hard to get into the school, you know, and so once you're there, you have to kind of find your place again. And I know a lot of people struggle, I mean, especially at the time you're going to college, is the time that mental health conditions can present themselves, um, especially bipolar disorder. Um, mm-hmm. It's diagnosed late teens, early 20s, you know, and so um, I think that the more – we can talk about mental health, especially in that that college age, the more that you're not going to feel so almost like personally attacked when you have a problem mm. and that you can't just act like nothing's wrong. Like you have to take care of it and ask for help, which can be really hard. And um, another, you know, talking about unique uh, challenges, in my religion, for example, is y'all may have heard of how young young people go on missions, and it's 18 months for women. They can go starting at age 19, and it's two years for boys. They can start going at 18, and I say boys there because they're really young, just out of high school. And you know, <laughs> it's that it's that commitment of faith that you choose to make to go on a mission. Um, it's a very specific type, and you know, there are people that come home from their missions early because they are challenging. And, you know, if you're back in that community in Utah, for example, for example, uh, you can feel like an outcast. You can feel less than, and it's very mm-hmm. much a real problem. And I think that's connected to that perfectionism. So the more that we can, you know, lighten up a little bit, I <laughs> think, um, in my community and just, you know, the more we understand mental health challenges, the more that we can have compassion and understanding for people. So, Danielle, I, I was mentioning, you know, the this, this stigma, the this stigma in my own personal community, but that's why here in this section we're talking about the real, the real reason why um, our conditions may be worse, that we may not get help, is because of stigma and feelings of shame, deep shame. So what do you think about that? I mean, that's definitely a huge piece, you know, and, and it was funny when I was listening to you, I was I was mm-hmm. hearing you talk about like, you know, I, I'm made this way. And one thing that stuck out in my head is like, we are all made in his image. Like we are a yes. masterpiece. 
even with the not-so-beautiful pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not even about mental health conditions. It's about everything. But I think one of the biggest things is that it's so prevalent with mental health conditions in general. Like, and this stigma and shame makes the condition even worse. So there's external shame from the others, like that fear, the lack of awareness you were talking about, like being disgraced because you came home from your mission early. But then what happens is this external comes internal. So, like, if people aren't Mm. treating you appropriately, then they could be like, well, if other people don't love me, God doesn't love me, no one understands, I'm a sinner, you know, I'm not in a good place. And then it just, like, spirals. And it can be that script that keeps playing. And, you know, that makes it really, really difficult for people to get treatment, for people to want to share their experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's really challenging. And it's ingrained in our culture um, that these things are scary. You know, you just have to look at the media, and um, that's a whole other conversation. But the things that people say and do, and, like, I know – one of the biggest things, and um, Megan, if you want to talk about this too, mm-hmm. is, is is watching your words. So if you want to take that, yes. and I'll come piggyback on the end here. Yeah. So the source that I'm going to share at the end, it's mentalhealth.lds.org is one source. And on that document or that page, it linked to a few um, uh, resources. One is from Time to Change, which is in the UK, and the APA, and it's it points out, you know, for, say, someone who knows nothing about experiencing a mental health condition, you can very easily say stuff like, oh, like, on, I'm looking at the time to change in right now. It's talking about how a mentally ill, lunatic, a schizophrenic, a depressive. Um, and for me personally, my my kind of personal I want to say vendetta, but goal in life is to always correct when I hear a descriptor yeah. of bipolar being that you are bipolar, this this situation, this weather is bipolar, which I hear all the time in Utah because that's how, mm-hmm. you know, they describe the weather. And the fact is the reason why it's so important to watch your words and to, you know, to research a little bit to know maybe what you're saying is right is the fact that when I was diagnosed um, – I just remembering this, when I was first diagnosed, the only association that I had with bipolar was an individual in, that I knew of at the time who was related to somebody in my family, and that they described that person as basically like a mess. They, ha- they were bipolar. They did this, this. So that was the only association. So I was rejecting mm-hmm. my diagnosis because I did not want to be associated with that. So that ever since then, I have been dedicated to in my my personal mental health condition. There are, there are so many that need understanding, but for me, it's to you not know, de- describing a person as a condition is is not what you do. Like we don't do that in any other context. We are not saying that this person is a heart attack or this person is an aneurysm doesn't make any sense. It's like you're objectifying yourself. And so mm-hmm. I think by, you know, building this greater vocabulary and understanding within our communities, that means we can help someone that we may know or that as something comes up in your faith community or, or someone is having one of types of these challenges, say they have to go to the hospital 
instead of, you know, firing off these phrases that you that are not going to help the situation, we really need to be understanding because words have so much power. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Like here, it's but like language changes your perception, and that's why I'm saying it changes the perception of myself when I have to say, "Oh no, I have bipolar disorder," because um, you say it the other way around and it does not feel good, and so it's just something that you have and that you handle. So um, we're going to list person all these first. resources. Yes, exactly. Person first language. So a person isn't their disorder. They are a person who happened to have that disorder. And, you know, thinking now it seems so simple, but it's just been so I, – I think it's just that's how we've talked. There has not been that understanding. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why I feel personally that it's important for me to be involved in mental health causes and to speak out. Like, I'll, I'll call it out when I hear it around me, <laughs> and people are always like, oh, I'm so sorry. But then no, they're no. not going to forget. They're not going to forget. <laughs> right. So, and I think that, um, especially as we're focused in our, our congregations and serving one another, um, like, my my church, for example, we just kind of revamped our entire, uh, it used to be called home teaching, visiting teaching, and how it works is adults. You're, you're partnered with someone and you are basically you have three or four people that are in your care and you want to, you know, visit them every month. They're very much like you need a report every month if you talk to them, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so back in April, um, it, everything was completely revamped. Now It's now called ministering and it's very broad. And it's you are still like you have like a companion, someone, and you have I have three people, say, for example, that, you know. But it's all about just making sure that, they have a friend, making sure that you kind of know what their needs are so you can be there for them. And it's kind of building this network. So, and I feel like the Christian attitude has always been to, you know, love your neighbor, serve your neighbor. And I think one way to really do that is to be up to date on how to talk about mental health. Absolutely. And I know that, that that's like one of my biggest pet peeves too is I call it like the bad C word um, for quote unquote <laughs> yeah. crazy because I hate it. Like every time I hear it, I cringe inside. And we even have a stigma square jar in my office. So when I catch people <laughs> that use that word, I charge them 25 cents. And let me tell you, I made so much money the first couple months. It was unbelievable. But oh my goodness. over time, it decreased. Like, I think maybe there's, like, maybe one quarter in there every two weeks now because everyone is so aware of the language that you use. And I know that we tend to throw these terms around, but if you Uh, are already struggling with something and you don't want to talk about it and you're afraid that you're going to be criticized or the church is going to push you out, um, you're not going to want to talk about it, especially when people call you these names. And that's really what it is, is is calling people names. It's stereotyping Mm -hmm. them. It's – having a prejudice is really it's it's discrimination is what stigma is and um i think the more comfortable we can make not only talking about mental health conditions um but changing our language you know is is a huge huge thing um and in the work i do the way we talk about it is we say stigma causes shame shame causes silence and silence hurts us all because if you're feeling stigmatized if you feel like you have this mark of disgrace on you you're not going to talk about it you're going to feel embarrassed and then people right. aren't going to get help. 
Um, but the thing is, and like we want to think about that, you know, it is okay to not be okay. Like I mentioned before, we're made in his image and, you know, we are broken. We all are broken. We all have these earthly bodies. Um, and we're importantly, we're, we're human. And just because we have a certain condition doesn't discredit our faith. Um, and, and just mm-hmm. in general, like if you were to ask someone like, Oh, well, you have cancer, but, you know, that's okay. But if you have a mental health condition, people are like, oh, that's, that's not okay. Like, they stigmatize you. Um, right. And the last, yeah, yeah. And the last thing I want to talk about with stigma is that certain modes of stigma, um, certain modes of treatment are stigmatized. So, like, oh, totally. one thing especially is medication. But on that same sense, like, it's okay to take medication if I have a physical sickness or a physical ailment. But if there's chemical imbalances in my in my brain, that is a physical thing. That is a biological thing. Why is it, you know, not okay for me to do that? Or why is it not okay for me to go to therapy? Like, my thing is that God works in mysterious ways, and that for me might be medication and therapy. For somebody else, um, that could mean just therapy. It could be any kind of wellness support. It could be a support group. You know, for me, one of my mysterious ways is in my faith. Like, Megan, you were talking earlier about how it made you the person that you are. And to tag on that, like, empathy. I have so incredibly much empathy because of the experiences that I've been through. And if I wasn't through these experiences, I don't think I would be able to serve Mm -hmm. others as well because I can understand how other people are going to. I can relate. And that helps me help people in different sorts of ways. Um, So speaking about, like, go ahead. I was just thinking that um, a very common scripture in my faith is that charity is the pure love of Christ. And if you were to say, if Christ was here in this room, would they have turned away this person because they have anxiety? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So it's so important to to harbor that charity and sometimes the way to that is having to go through something and having to understand. I'm not saying that's the only way, but that is a way Mm. Uh, because I I've mentioned about having bipolar disorder and I'm pretty sure the percentage, I think think this is a correct fact that if you have bipolar disorder, you're like 50% chance of having anxiety as well, like uh, a diagnosed anxiety. And so my anxiety, I mentioned I had it as a child, it came back super hard uh, my last year of college. So I had to take a semester off. I had to go home. And I, uh, through that experience of that complete, like, giving up, like, I can't do this on my own. I'm alone. Like, I need help. That, and then to feel that support that came to me, uh, either in person or um if I, I was talking about it on my Instagram, it helped me get through it. And it reminded me of, you know, the the positive aspects of, you know, my faith and it comes to mental health is that when I, when I was mm. struggling as a teenager, those in my congregation reached out and helped me. They visited me at the hospital. They delivered food. They, you know, supported my family. And so there's, there's so much good to be had. And this is, you know, going into now our last section here, um, 
that we want to talk about um, holistic wellness and what the communities we're doing and what we can do. Uh, so do you want to take that, Danielle, our first couple? Yeah, I think that's really piggybacks um, back on from what you were saying. So you were talking about how, like, um, not only was there support, but you found strength in your faith. Um, And there's this big thing called the wellness wheel. So we talk about there's these eight dimensions of wellness, and they Mm -hmm. all fit together um, to be a, um, I guess, obviously, holistic means all together. Um, everything in your life to be in balance, to be the most successful person you can be. So those things are mm-hmm. occupational, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, physical, social, environmental, and financial. And it's funny because if I look at that list, faith communities are attached with five out of eight of those things. So clearly <laughs> faith is a very spiritual experience. Um, but faith also impacts you emotionally. And, um, you know, it can be a source of great comfort. It can be a source of peace. It can help you redirect some of your emotions. Um, but also mm-hmm. people don't think that mental health conditions are actually physical as well. Um, so when we're experiencing symptoms and things like that, um, you know, sometimes I'm bipolar as well. I have bipolar disorder as well. And sometimes when I'm in my bouts of depression that I get body pains and I don't know why. And um, I'll go to the doctor mm-hmm. and they're like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, so again, that's my mental health affecting my, um, affecting my physical health, um, Mm -hmm. again, social Megan, you talked about support and how influential it was to have your family and have people visiting you, um, an environmental, um, that church-based community is, is so huge. So I, like for me personally, when I look at that list, I think of my big two are honestly faith, spirituality and community, um, Mm -hmm. Not to go into a long spiel, but someone asked me the other day at a walk, they were like, so how do you stop suicide? And I said, honestly, a lot of it is getting treatment and finding access to treatment and making that available to everyone and destigmatizing it and making people educated and aware. Um, but also people have to feel like they belong. They need to feel like they're in a sense mm. of community. And faith communities, can they are in this super cool position that they can provide that. Like, that is such a cool thing. Um, and one of the cool things, so I, my church has this great program called Fresh Hope. Um, and it's specifically for individuals with mental health conditions and their families and friends um, to talk about their struggles and what they might be going through in their mental health conditions in a safe space um, from a Christian-based perspective. So if they're struggling with something, there are people you can pray with. There are people... Um, that you can ask for support that are understanding because they've been through these same things. Um, so I think that's a huge support network for people so that they don't feel like they're alone, especially um, in a faith community, and they don't have to have that perfectionism and, and those appearances mm-hmm. like you mentioned about. Um, and I'm just going to mention yeah. one more thing, and then um, Megan's going to talk a little bit about the specific things that her community is doing, but there's also a program called Youth Mental Health First Aid. And what it does is it trains people that aren't psychological professionals to be first responders to people that are having mental health concerns or mental health crises. Um, So just like CPR, um, like if you notice something in someone that's not right, um, or if you're in a situation that is over your head and you're like, wow, I think this person is really struggling, but I don't know what to do. 
that situation trains you to be able to have conversations with people, to be able to respond, to know the resources. So if they do need to get um, some sort of treatment or help, whether it's medication or therapy or group support um, or wellness coaching, whatever it is, that you can be prepared to do that. And we've done a lot of trainings in faith-based communities. Um, so that's really cool that we're equipping people to do that. And because sometimes um, even pastors don't have a lot of mental health training. Um, so we, if we can give people more and more tools, number one, if you're educated about something, if you're aware of something, you're going to start breaking down stigmas because you understand it better. So the more we can do it, it really just wraps around to this whole thing about education and awareness and promoting social inclusion and helping people get help. So I think that's a cool thing. But Megan's church is doing so many amazing things. You guys have to listen to this. Thank goodness. Well, I'm just really excited to hear about those resources you have access to, and I think it's so important for you. Um, but while, while you're talking, I was just thinking about the fact that my personal experience, I had a very positive interaction with those in my faith, and I was given mm-hmm. the right resources. But I know there are so many people out there that have been burned and, you know, uh, yeah. shunned away. So <laughs> what, I think what we're, yes, exactly. And so what we're here to say is, I mean, personally in my church, I feel like there's so much positive progress. But um, just to not give up if you have been burned before because we both have, you know, found a place. And there's a place for you. So I wanted to make sure – you know, just not to just talk about how easy my time has been, apparently, but. <laughs> Preach. Um, I, Preach. Because I, I we can definitely say out. that we've had a hard time. Yeah, I just, I think I was personally, like, I personally lucked out. Um, and I think, you know, as time's moving on, that things are getting better. But, so, mm. with my church, um, there has been such a positive movement and changes to talk, first of all, just to talk about mental health, um, and second of all, to actually provide resources. And But I think that these conversations that have been started are huge, um, basically to, you know, just you're not alone and what you're going through is not a punishment, like we were talking before the myth. So my church especially, um, so it's, it's headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, and so Oftentimes, you know, it's a worldwide church. There are actually more members of my church outside of the U.S. than are in. Um, and, but, you know, they respond to local needs um, in Utah, and one of those has been the youth suicide rate. And um, it has affected my, my cousins, my niece. They have been at high schools where there have been seven to eight suicides a year and just at at certain those are two different high schools maybe 20 miles from each other and it's it's you know obviously that draws attention of like what is going on here and how can we help these kids yeah so from a church standpoint as the majority of the the population area are members of the church and a lot of these kids um, were um, it, they, there's now a website called suicide.lds.org and it has videos that has, um, a lot of Q and A, like, what do I do if I'm feeling this or someone I know, how can I help? Um, and then I really like that those websites are linking to outside resources as well. Um, but I think the biggest thing is the, the destigmatize and 
honestly, like this, you know, I'm talking about a local need, which is that teen suicide. But since it connects to the space that I'm a part of, I, you know, it's part of a conversation. And, you know, a lot of it, not all of it, but there have been a few cases that I've heard of um, people who die by suicide because they they feel like they're not meeting the set of standards that their community mm-hmm. has accept, you know, as presented as acceptable. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, say someone like had sex outside of marriage that, and, you know, all your neighbors, they all, everyone knows, and they, you know, they feel hopeless. And so I think the shame, breaking, the shame is so powerful. And so, um, and I, I was even, if any of you have seen the documentary recently called Believer, it's about Dan Reynolds, who is the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, um, it was on HBO, but it, it was amazing. And, um, but someone that was working on the film during the process, his younger brother died by suicide. And that reason was he actually got kicked out of you for something because there are standards you have to, to do. And he felt hopeless. And this cannot be happening anymore. Like, I just, it makes me so sad. And that's why I am just really grateful for the steps that have been taken. And for me personally, um, there is this, so we, in our vocabulary, we call them talks, but two times a year in April and October, we have what's called general conference. And like I mentioned before, how I believe our church is continuing revelation. We have, you know, what we believe is a prophet, and then we also have apostles um, and other mm-hmm. leaders, and they give addresses two times a year. And this, there's this talk that's called Like a Broken Vessel, that was given by mm-hmm. um, um, his name's Jeffrey R. Holland. We call him Elder Holland. And this was probably four or five years ago, I want to say. And I was at home, and I heard that talk, and I felt for the first time, I was like, "This is me." Like he, like I feel like God is saying, "I recognize you, what you're going through, and it's okay." And now, ever, I feel like well, it wasn't such a tipping point, but it was more just like opening the gate. And since then, I feel like there's been such a greater dialogue. Um, and that's not to say that that's the, that's the scenario on every congregation, which we call wards. Um, it takes time. But in my community, when an apostle says something, people pay attention. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you have permission? Okay, actually, yeah, this is what's going on now. And <laughs> So the fact that they can talk about suicide and do it in a very gentle way that is not putting blame um, on anyone, it's, it's um, I was trying to pull up the, the actual page. Um, like, say, if you're going to look at this topic about suicide, it's, you know, it's like it, it references scriptures saying that, like, mm-hmm. even righteous people like Paul have despaired even of life when they feel weighed down. Um, oh, so good. That, yeah, and so it has a bunch of other scriptures there, but it says, nevertheless, in times of trouble, they knew who they trusted, and God has been their support. Um, and it does say here, this is citing, it says, although it is wrong to take one's own life, a person who does so may not be responsible for his for her actions, only God can fully understand and judge the situation. Mm-hmm. And God is I my think, judge. Yes, exactly. And I think that is huge for um, 
uh, how a community should respond to a suicide in their, you know, in your neighborhood and your congregation. That's why on this, the suicide specific page, it talks about burial processes. Like, is it treated the same when some, you know, because people have those questions, like, because there's been such shame associated to it. And um, so I think the more that we have these conversations, the more um, things will change. And I'm just grateful that the church, my church is putting out these resources because there are some people I know in my faith who will only want to get their information from the church. So the church is saying, (laughs) yes, then it's it's okay. So I'm going to do that. (laughs) And, uh, um, so I'm just, that just makes me, uh, I want to say it makes me happy, but it makes me, um, grateful that we have conversations yeah. about struggling because also, you know, yes, we're progressing and we're trying to be like God one day. We're trying to, you know, live our lives in a way we try to, you know, follow in Christ's footsteps and we want to, you know, live a Christ-like life. But uh, it's hard because we all have challenges. Hey, Jesus Christ struggled too. Exactly. You know, and <laughs> he experienced everything. He came down into human form and experienced everything that we've had to experience. He's had all mm-hmm. the emotions. He's had people in his life pass away. I'm sure that even though the Bible doesn't talk about it, I'm sure people died by suicide. I feel like that probably happened. Mm-hmm. Like, um, And I think all these things, I think the the purpose of it, and Megan, you talked about, you know, leaving like Jesus, um, but also realizing that we are so loved. We are loved unconditionally by our maker, by God. Like, And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest perceptions and why people get so thrown off by faith is that they're like, I'm not good enough. No one can love me. Um, right. That's what we've been talking Damaged about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've been talking about that in my congregation um, and this these past couple of months um, was really like there is no sin that is unforgivable. There is nothing mm-hmm. you can do to make God love you less. No matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what you're struggling with, um, that he still loves you. So I had to throw that tie in. I know that we've been like, talking so much here so i think maybe megan we should just probably get to our five things that faith communities can do um yeah so i'm thinking maybe we can share these check in as builders see if there's anything we need to add for each one of them um and just divvy them up that way you want to take the first yeah. one yeah so number one is to increase awareness which we've talked in detail about increase compassion uh we talked about charity um that education on these topics, they change our attitudes and that we can have um, a more lived experience and understanding what people are going through. So Mm. personally, say if you are a person who does not struggle with a serious mental health condition, I think it's important for you to understand it more and by reading these resources and to, and I think honestly, just meeting someone who has a condition, like say I'll talk be talking to somebody and cause I, yes. I'll, I'm disclaimer now. I have been fair, like stable for about four or five years. 
And so when it comes to bipolar, and so I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be, you know, saying something, and I'll tell them or mention something about having bipolar, and people are, like, shocked. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not what you think. And so I think that's been so important to actually uh, – and I think to be an ally to somebody. Mm. Like, if, like, that's what I try to be when I know someone is struggling. It's like, I understand you. Um, I'm here for you. So that is number one. Yeah. Right on. And I think, and actually research proof, that having um, first-person contact with someone with lived experience makes the most impact on changing those perceptions and changing that, um, those sorts of stigmas and getting rid of that discrimination. So I totally impact that. And I, I thankfully actually have a cool platform because when I go into schools, I get to share my recovery story, which is also like a duel because then I can talk about Jesus. So it's amazing. (laughs) But anyway, number two, we have more in common than we think, all right? And we just need to talk about things. This whole, like, our culture as a whole sweeps things under the rug. How are you? Okay, fine, whatever. We don't talk about our feelings, and we need to start talking about these things. And the fact is we're all different, and that's okay. And everyone has problems in different ways. So just because their problems are Mm -hmm. different doesn't mean they're less important and should be stigmatized. But also, we can relate to them. And this is so cool. This guy's name is Pastor Steve Austin. He's actually a um, suicide attempt survivor and wow. a pastor. Dig this. Um, and his quote is, transformation comes from connecting with other people through our brokenness, not in spite of it. So you mm. might not have a mental health condition, but you have had times of your life where you were feeling depressed or you are feeling anxious, and you can take those feelings, and even though you haven't been there, you can be there for someone that's experiencing those same feelings. Do you have anything Mm -hmm. to add to that one, Megan? That was like a mic drop moment, but (laughs) number three. Number three is social inclusion. So we are all in this together, and we are called to help each other. Uh, We all Mm -hmm. take upon ourselves, and we decide to pursue a life of faith, to serve those around us as the Savior would. And um, the purpose of the church is to bring everyone together as one, like the body of Christ. Um, So everyone matters. And there is a scripture that um, I love. It's it's in the book called The Doctrine and Covenants. It's, It's section 18, verse 10, and it says, The worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And just think of the worth of souls, the worth of every individual soul is great in the sight of God. Um, all of us are children of God. And um, in the context of what we believe as Christians is that the Savior suffered for everyone. And as we Amen. were talking about that <laughs> earlier, I was thinking of this other scripture story that is one of my personal favorites actually in the book of Alma and the Doctrine and Covenants I'm pretty sure if I'm referencing right but basically it's talking about the atonement of the Savior and we think about it as the Savior suffered for our sins which he did he suffered for all of our sins true but he also he suffered our our emotional struggles he suffered Mm -hmm. our losses our our afflictions our disappointments so is that he is the one that we can turn to because he has been through it all. He hasn't only just saved us from our, our sins, which is huge, 
but he understands what it's like to be human and to struggle, and that's why it's so important to turn to him. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. And I think part of that is, you know, like, Jesus asked us to carry one another burdens. He clearly carried our yes. burdens, and he, he carried them on a cross, like, literally carried them. Um, but he also valued mm-hmm. saving lives. And, you know, no matter if you're a person with a mental health condition or you're someone that's in that community, like we mentioned before, we're the body of Christ, and we're meant to embody Christ for all who we've met. So taking seriously Jesus' example means welcoming all like Megan mentioned earlier, Um, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, you are loved by Jesus, and we love you too. Yeah. Um, So that brings us to number four, reach out. Mm -hmm. All right. So Megan mentioned earlier about when she was in the hospital, you know, people would visit her. They would bring meals. um, But a lot of times in congregations, they don't know how to talk about mental health. Or if someone goes to the hospital for mental health in comparison to physical health, they, like, freeze. They don't know what to do or how to talk about it. And I think the big thing is, like, do the same things. Visit them. Bring them meals. And not only just pray for people, because that will happen a lot, where people will be like, oh, they're struggling. We should pray for them. But pray with them. Mm -hmm. Right? That's huge. Just being there is powerful. Um, And even if that person doesn't want to talk, just sitting with them or being there with them, that silence can be a powerful tool just to let them know that you're in there with them that they're never alone, and, you know, that God's in their presence, too. And you don't even have to say anything. You can just listen, not judgmentally, not making assumptions. And the other thing about that is meeting them where they are. So if you notice someone that isn't coming to services or things like that, like, you know, maybe stop by and see how things are. If they don't want you to stop by, you know, send a call or send a text or Skype even. Um, But our job is to be there his light be God's light in their darkness. Um, Mm -hmm. We can just be aware of their hurt. We can enter their dark, just sit with them in it and love them like Christ loves, unchanged, unconditional. We don't need to fix them. That's not our job, but we can be there, being the hands and feet of Christ, um, embracing them, loving them, and be a part of that restoration um, that also Christ brings to them. You can be a part of that as well. Ah, uh, amen to that, Danielle. I, as we were talking, <laughs> I was, I was remembering a few more, an experience I had when I was in the hospital. And when you're talking about like, as if you're a person approaching someone that's struggling, you don't know how to help. Uh, first thing is physical needs. When I mentioned someone brought me food, it was actually so. In my church, they're called bishops, but they're basically the past pastors, and the bishops are usually involved in kind of. You know, that's the first place that people turn to for extra help. Mm-hmm. And it was his wife that brought me this meal. And um, I was in the hospital for a manic episode. And, and when you're in that mindset, sometimes you are hard to reach because you mm. are kind of in your own situation. And I, so she brought me that food. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not just alone here in this experience. There are people mm-hmm. outside of this hospital yes. thinking about me. You're nourishing me because I have been having hospital food for a few days. <laughs> and so you may not know what to do, but I think by just focusing on their person's physical needs, what could they be? You know, people can always use food. And mm-hmm. um, uh, when you're mentioning praying for people, because, you know, if say you're not much of a religious person, you might think, oh, prayer doesn't, you know, what is prayer? Like, I, I feel like. What are the physical results that you can tell me that have come from a person's prayer? 
but um, huge. Maybe maybe for evidence, but um, um, this it's a type of a prayer situation in my church. So you've probably seen a Mormon temple somewhere in your life because they're all over the world. And <laughs> when you visit the temple, there they have what's called a prayer roll, and basically you can call your local temple and just put in the name and the people that are visiting mm-hmm. the temple that day can pray for them. And again, mentioning I was in a manic episode and it's kind of all about you. You're not really sure. Like it's hard to focus on anything else but yourself in that time. Yes. Yes. But my, my brother, my sister-in-law, they lived away. They lived across the country, actually in another country and across the country. And I, <laughs> my parents came to the hospital and they told me that they had put my name on the prayer roll for, and 68 temples and oh my gosh that just it gets me emotional now just remembering it and in that moment I felt I felt a little bit of light break through the the jumble mess and just thinking like wow and the fact that I had such a miraculous uh recovery and from that I just faith is real and there's so much that you can do. You may feel like it may be so small, but there's another scripture that by small and simple things, great things come to pass. And um, we can be, you know, doing those small and simple things. So that that our last and final point here is that we are we're to call each other up and not out. You're not supposed to say, you know, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? Instead, think about, you know, what can I do for help um, and that we have compassion and understanding and that spiritual support when needed. It's huge, just creating that positive dialogue. Megan, you, your story almost made me cry. I'm, like, sitting here, like, trying not to cry on the right telephone. <laughs> it's, um. a, it's an amazing story. I'm just grateful, and that's how, like, I know, you know, my faith has been such a strength to me in my challenges and there's no way I could have, there's no way I could have had the life that I have now without, you know, without my personal faith and the faith of those around me. And I just, I believe in miracles and um, I also believe that we need to be um, people of action and, you know, we need to pray and then we need to go out and do and that, we are, you know, God uses us as his hands, and we can be the difference in someone's life. And so I think for, you know, when you're in the midst of those dark times, when you're in the midst of the confusion and the upheaval that a mental health condition can have, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to see past it. It's really hard. And I think faith helps you just you know, think ahead a little bit. Um, wouldn't you say, Danielle? Just that. Uh, you're just making me think of, like, <laughs> that's what faith is. Faith is providing hope. Mm-hmm. It's providing encouragement. It's providing support. That's what we're called to do as believers. And I think that, you know, not even when we're in those episodes that are, are, are really, really dark and in those very difficult places, but on a daily basis when I struggle – still struggle on a daily basis because it's, you know, wellness is a process. It's not an yes. up and down thing. Life is um, and still life. An end, but, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I can think back to those times that 
I was in a very dark place, and I can think about how he pulled me out or how my faith community helped me or how people were there to support me, um, and that I can pray to him, I can come to him, and that I'm not alone, um, and that he loves me no matter what. And I think that that faith, I think this brings us just all around full circle, that faith can be such a huge um, part of mental health and wellness. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we have these conversations, um, the more we do less stigmatizing and judging people and start talking about it, having these conversations um, and reaching out and making that action. Like you said, it's not only doing, Mm -hmm. it's not only knowing, but it's actually taking the steps to do something to create this place where it's okay to get help. How can we help you? How can we be there for you? Um, yeah. So I don't know if you have anything to add, Megan. I'm thinking then, just about we've talked so much about, you know, just having compassion and it's so important to have compassion for yourself. And oh, big one. Yes. Yeah. Just to have patience for yourself. What I mentioned so many times about perfectionism, about just you things you need to do as a Mormon. And if you are struggling, you are struggling to get to church on Sundays, you're struggling, I think you need to have that compassion for yourself and know that God understands and that God is the one that, you know, judges us, that, that knows our effort and knows our hearts. So mm. just having that, you know, when you have that compassion for yourself, then you are likely to get help. But you're likely to make, you know, do those uh, steps to wellness and yeah. take care of yourself and that God loves you no matter what. Even if you feel, even if you can't feel it, it's still there and you just need to hang on until you can't feel it again. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, I think we've uh, we've probably talked your guys' ear off, but obviously Megan and I are incredibly passionate about this. We're incredibly um, passionate about our mental health and our wellness, and we're glad that we had um, this time to share that with you and, 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 Mm -hmm. and tell you a little bit about how our faith um, and mental health have kind of been interplay for us and the great experience, not great and not so great experiences that we have that we can give you some hope um, that if you're in the community that we can give you some tools um, for how to respond. So you're not so afraid to respond or doing the wrong thing, but um, you've got something to go back on. So we just wanted to share um, some resources that we mentioned. So we're going to try to see if we can put these up on the podcast description um, but Megan talked about mentalhealth.lds.org as well as suicide.lds.org. Um, some things that I've been really using are christianitytoday.com has great um, articles in psychology and mental health. Um, NAMI, which is the National um, Association of Mental Illness, actually has a specific place on their website for faith. It's um, nami.org backslash nami faithnet. Um, and then there's also a contemporary Christian magazine called relevantmagazine.com that discusses mental health a lot. Um, Megan, can mm-hmm. you think of any more? I think that's great. I think other than the Bible also, and <laughs> yes, Bible and other scriptures that I may read. Um, uh, just so those are the branches of LDS or website. You can also just go to LDS.org, especially if, um, you're wondering what actually it is. <laughs> There's a lot of misinformation out there about Mormon. So go to the source, lds.org <laughs> or, or mormon.org, and you'll find what you're looking for. 
But yeah, I'm just grateful there's so many great resources out here. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, these, again, are our stories. Your story might mm-hmm. be different. Um, all of our stories are different. And I think at the end of the day, whatever it is that you need to help you on your wellness, whatever gets you through, that's all up to you. We're all different. Um, God loves you the same. If you are a person of faith, um, and even if you're not, God still loves you. Um, Mm -hmm. But just you do you, whatever that is. You know, for Megan and I, um, faith works for us, and these, again, are only our beliefs. Um, So, Mm -hmm. you know, we totally trust your faith-based system might handle it differently. But I think that um, the community things we talked about are great no matter what faith you are, um, but also if you're not a person of faith, that these are great things that you can keep in mind um, when we're talking about mental health and wellness and how to help others that might be struggling. So anything else, Ms. Megan? You nailed it. Summarized. All right. I'm just awesome. happy that we could be here today and that we hopefully we can continue this conversation. I'd love to hear more stories and more just input because you could be in the same faith as someone and have a completely different experience. Mm. So I think it's really important, as Danielle was saying, is these are our personal experiences and that you can, you know, take what you want to apply. And and if you're interested in joining the Young Adult Council and making podcasts and other cool things like this, <laughs> you can you go can to the DDSA website and look, um, look up Young Adult Council. We've got some great resources about wellness in the workplace. We've got great, great resources about um, wellness. Um, we're going to do something about college. We've got tons of podcasts. We've got questions and answers that people write in. Um, so we've got a wealth of resources with you. And if you're a young adult, 18 to 30, we'd love for you to join us. So um, that information yeah. is on the website. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, check us out. Yes. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.